0: Walter Sports Bar is again, this college football season, the D.C. hangout for Florida State fans. Make your plans now for Sunday night of Labor Day weekend as FSU takes on LSU. Will Dylan Cruz be there to cheer on his Tigers? Unlikely. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Second and short, the pitch. Swain, a ground ball to the first baseman. Abrams breaks for the plate. Bell will take the out at first, and the Nationals will take the lead. It's an RBI ground out for Smith, scoring Abrams. Over to third, Thomas, and the Nationals lead 1-0. Pitch. Blasted in the air, deep left center field. Young racing back, warning track at the wall, looking up, and it's gone. Into the home run deck in left center. Solaire has done it again, his 35th
1: of the year. Puts Miami on top, 2-1. And welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, August 28th, 2023. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Mark Zuckerman is off for this installment of the show. Hope that you had a nice weekend. The Nationals did have a nice weekend, although they did lose on Sunday afternoon. A 2-1 loss at the Miami Marlins. Denying the Nats would, would have been their fourth three-game sweep over the last six weekends. This loss was just the Nats' fourth loss over the team's last 15 games. We are getting so used to Nats wins that the losses now stand out as these like rare occurrences. That is a good thing. That is sign of progress. Uh, This installment of the Nats Chat Podcast is brought to you by our friend Tim Newmark. Uh, He just released his 10th solo piano album. You can check out the new album at TimNewmark.com slash relax for more information. I love that. TimNewmark.com slash relax. And Newmark is spelled N E U M A. Okay, even with this loss on Sunday afternoon, the Nats are 23 and 12 over their last 35 games. This 2-1 Nats loss at the Marlins did improve the Marlins to a remarkable 28-12 in one-run games this season, in which the Nats are a more normal, less fraudulent 21 and 19 in one-run games. So the Marlins are 66 and 65, despite having a run differential of minus 48. The Nats are 61 and 70 with a run differential of minus 93. I have called the Morelands frauds, and they are. They are fraudulent, but... You know the Nats are overachieving as well in terms of their record versus their run differential. Both the Marlins and the Nats are overachievers this season. If you go by run differential, the Marlins' expected record based on their run differential is sixty and seventy-one. So actual record sixty-six and sixty-five. Expected record sixty and seventy-one. The Nats' expected record, given their run differential, is fifty-six. And 75. So the Nats' actual record is 61 and 70. What the record should be based on the run differential is 56 and 75. The Marlins are six games better than what the Marlins should be. The Nats are five games better than what the Nats should be. This is something to keep in mind with what's happening with the Nats. You know, the Nats over the final two games of this series did not do much hitting. This 2 1 loss on Sunday afternoon, the Nats scored just one run, totaled just seven hits, worked just two walks, went 0 for six with runners in scoring position. The 3-2 win on Saturday. The Nats won that game despite totaling just four hits and two walks and going just one for six with runners in scoring position. You know, the Nats won two or three games in this series despite hitting one home run (laughs) the entire series. I mean, you talk about the scrappy Nats, one homer over a three-game series, and yet... The Nats win that series, but the lone Nats homer in this series was the Carter Keeboom homer in the 7-4 win on Friday evening. A Keeboom in that game as the Nats starting third baseman and number five batter, one for three with a two-run homer, also drew a hit by pitch. He also was the Nats starting third baseman and number five batter in each of the final two games of the series, but he went 0 for 4 in each of those two games. But yeah, one home run for the Nats the entire series. The Nats for this season are just 29th Out of 30 major league teams in home runs with 119. The Nats' lone run in this uh, 2-1 loss on Sunday afternoon came in the top of the third on a one-out RBI groundout by first baseman Dominic Smith for a 1-0 Nats lead. Only one Nat had more than one hit in the game. Joey so he is the Nats' starting DH and number three batter, went two for four with two singles. Uh, the Nats had just one extra base hit in the game. Lane Thomas, uh, he is the Nats starting right fielder and number two batter, went one for four with a double and three strikeouts, seeing that Nats one run third had an opposite field double to right field. The Nats on Sunday afternoon also had a pinch hit and by Kbert Ruiz. So let's get into this uh, Kbert Ruiz situation a bit here. Riley Adams ended up being the Nats starting catcher and number seven batter in each of these three games at the Marlins. He now has been the Nats' starting catcher for four consecutive games and for five of the Nats' last six games. What's going on with Baird is that he's coming off having taken a foul tip off his face mask in that 9-1 loss at the New York Yankees this past Wednesday night. Riley Adams, who I have advocated to get more plate appearances, uh, did not have a good series at the Marlins. Uh, He, over the three games, went a combined one for 11 with a single, K. Barrett on Sunday afternoon did pinch hit. He in the top of the ninth had a out pinch single into left field. So it was good to see that. And he in the 7-4 win on Friday evening was the Nats starting DH and number four batter. He went two for five with an RBI single and an infield single. Uh, Nats manager Davey Martinez in his pregame session with reporters on Sunday indicated that K. Barrett should be back as the Nats starting catcher on Monday night for game one of a three-game series at the Toronto Blue Jays. So we shall see. The Nats, shortly after their loss on Sunday afternoon, did announce a roster move, announced the optioning of outfielder Blake Rutherford to AAA Rochester, and Mark Zuckerman did tweet early Sunday evening that uh, catcher Drew Millis is making the trip to Toronto with the Nats, so perhaps Millis is about to be put on the Nats' active roster. The biggest bright spot by far from the Nats in winning two out of three games at the Marlins over the weekend was the starting pitching. This ended up being maybe the single best series of the Nats season in terms of starting pitching, especially when you consider that the Nats in this series started neither Josiah Gray nor Mackenzie Gore, and yet the Nats starting pitching in this series was excellent. Now, it's worth noting that the Morelands are not a good hitting team. Oh, The Morelands came into Sunday just 22nd out of 30 major league teams and team-weighted runs created plus for this season, but consider what went down with the Nats starting pitching in this series. So the two-one loss at the Marlins on Sunday afternoon, Trevor Williams, two runs in seven innings. He gave up five hits, a two-run homer, two doubles and two singles. He issued two walks. He recorded five strikeouts. He threw 104 pitches, 63 strikes versus 41 balls. So Williams, in the bottom of the third, allowed the two runs that he gave up. Uh, he gave up a leadoff opposite field single by Luis Rise to left center field and then gave up a two-run homer by Jorge Soler to left center field on an 0-2 pitch for a 2-1 Marlins lead. The homer went a projected 418 feet first ad cast. So, you know, that was a bomb on an 0-2 pitch. And we know that Williams has had an issue with giving up the homer this season, but still two runs in seven innings. This was a second consecutive very good outing by Trevor Williams, who was coming off what he did in the Nats' uh, 4-3 win over the National League wildcard-leading Philadelphia Phillies at uh, Muncie Bank Ballpark at historic Bowman Field in Williamsport, Pennsylvania in the 2023 MLB Little League Classic. Now, two Sunday nights ago, August 20th, Williams in that game had a much-needed good outing in tossing six scoreless innings. So Williams, over his last two starts, two runs in 13 innings. He entered that start against the Phillies in Williamsport with an ERA of 6 32 since the beginning of June. I mean, we had talked on this podcast about, hey, is uh, Trevor Williams' spot in the Nats rotation in jeopardy? That talk has been calmed down considerably with what Williams has done over his last two starts. But you go back over the other two games in this series, the 3-2 win at the Marlins on Saturday, yet another good outing for Jake Urban, one run in six innings, and the 7-4 win at the Marlins on Friday evening, Johanna Doan, for a second time in four starts, teased, tossing, no hitter. Uh, he tossed six scoreless innings. So Nat's starting pitchers in winning two or three games at the Marlins combined to allow just three runs in 19 innings. Outstanding. <music> This episode of Nats
2: Chat is brought to you by longtime listener and composer of the Nats Chat theme music, Tim Newmark. Tim has just released his 10th solo piano album called Relax, background music for restaurants, spas, and bedtime. Different from his previous albums, Relax features more repetition, simpler melodies, and little dynamic variation. In short, this album is meant to put your mind at ease and to put you to sleep. Tim gave me a preview of the music, and I can verify that this will make you nod off. Relax can be found on all your favorite streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Music, Pandora, Amazon Music, and anywhere you listen to streaming music. CDs and sheet music are also available from timnewmark.com. From now until the end of the season, you can use the promo code NATSChat on Tim's site to get 20% off all products. Again, promo code NATSChat for 20% off all products. Start your day with the Nat Chat Podcast and end it with this new album. It's sure to put you to sleep.
1: Hey, guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Well, the heat, the humidity, the sky-high temperatures, uh, they all are here. And all of this is forcing your air conditioning into overdrive, leading to ultra-high energy bills. The solution, new windows from the folks at Window Nation. And Window Nation right now is offering a sensational deal to listeners of the Nat Chat Podcast right now. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years, plus 50% off all styles of Windows. And if you call this week, you get an extra 10% off call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Again, no money down, no payments, no interest for two years, plus 50% off all styles of windows. And if you call this week, you get an extra 10% off your order, 866-90NATION or windownation.com. If you've been thinking ...about getting new windows, now is the time. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. That's 866 nation or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast.
2: Hey Nats Chat Podcast, Tim Shover is here to tell you about the Game Time app. My wife is a big concert fan and I'm a bit of a newbie. And don't know where to begin in terms of how to get concert tickets. Then, I remembered about Game Time, the best place for last minute ticket deals... Plenty of options on there. GameTime is the fastest and easiest way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. It's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you would know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag the tickets without the stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code NatsChat for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Here's your Dylan Cruz update for the game played on Sunday as Harrisburg was shut out 2 to nothing by the visiting Reading Fightin' Phils. Cruz, as usual for Harrisburg, in center field leadoff 1-4. for four. He's hitting 143 after six games at the AA level. Now back to out.
0: Swinging a line drive right center field. Jacob Young on the run coming in, coming, coming. He dives and he made the catch for the out. What a play by the rookie Jacob Young in his first major league game. A long run from left center towards shallow right center with a headlong dive straight out and to his left a bit. And he makes a spectacular catch and sticks the landing for out number one here in the bottom of the eighth inning.
1: As for the Nats bullpen, so Trevor Williams doing as well as he did in this 2-1 loss on Sunday afternoon meant that Davey Martinez only had to use one reliever in the game, Mason Thompson, and he did toss a scoreless bottom of the eighth. Uh, good to see that off what happened with Thompson in the 7-4 win on Friday evening. Thompson in that game, a disaster. In the bottom of the seventh, he was charged with four runs, did not record a single out. He faced five batters but got no outs. He gave up a triple, a double, a single And two infield singles. But, you know, otherwise, the Nats bullpen in this series was good. Beyond Thompson's outing on Friday evening, Nats relievers in the series combined to allow just one run in seven innings. So, you know, you can't just erase the Thompson outing, okay? like that did happen. That does count. But beyond that outing, the Nats bullpen work in this series was good. Next up for the Nats, a three-game series at the Toronto Blue Jays. Game one, Monday night at 7.07, Josiah Gray will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game two, Tuesday night at 7.07, Mackenzie Gore will be the Nats starting pitcher. And game three, Wednesday afternoon at 3.07, Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher. You tell us what you think, you can tweet us at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show nats chat podcast at gmail.com. We got this email from Tom Buckley in Bethesda, Maryland, writes Tom, it is fun today to dream and project what prospects will come up to the major league team and where they will fill in. Aside from that part of the rebuild, it also is exciting to think about the team's current solid respectability this season with a very low team payroll and the related implication that there is future salary space for yet more talent. I've blocked out for a while any thought of the Nats signing any strong free agents while the team has been in the early stages of the rebuild. I know that you've hit on this a little bit on the pod. As we do get closer to the end of the season, I'd love to hear your early specific thoughts about the timing of the Nats to spend more aggressively. This offseason seems a little too soon beyond some modest spending, but with the team's current performance and the performances of some prospects, it's not crazy to start to think about at which positions the Nats might consider bolstering with free agents. So it would be interesting to hear your thoughts about the positions to consider in terms of free agency. Maybe a high-end starting pitcher, maybe a strong additional arm for the bullpen. We'll see where things go with Luis Garcia at second base. Otherwise, there may not be glaring holes if the prospects keep developing. I know that is a big if. Thank you. For the email, Tom. Yeah, I thought about this too. And, you know, what you just outlined the starting pitching, the bullpen, maybe second base. I mean, those would be the obvious things to be thinking about right now in terms of potential free agent targets. I would say this, though I don't think that the Nats should be in any rush to spend big on external free agents. I think when you are in the position that the Nats are in, rebuilding, but starting to come out of the rebuild, and now with a horde. Of prospects, especially in the minors. I think you just kind of let things marinate, you know, and you see what happens and you see who develops. I think if you start getting super cute this offseason and you try to add big free agents or you try to trade away, say, from your surplus of outfield prospects, I think that can get you in trouble because we still don't know with certainty who of the outfield prospects is going to pan out and who isn't. And To sit here right now and say with certainty, we know who's gonna pan out and who is worth trading, I don't think you can do that. Like, I think you gotta sort of wait a little bit. And I think sometimes in sports, especially in baseball, the best thing that you can do is nothing. (laughs) You know, like if you just let things happen, you let things play out, that can be so much better than, you know, overreaching. Okay, because that leads to overspending and that leads to moves that don't work out and end up really hurting you in terms of payroll flexibility. Now, I don't think that Tom was suggesting the Nats go crazy in free agency, certainly not this offseason. But I would not be mad if the Nats this offseason didn't do much in free agency, because I think the Nats, just by prospects getting older and hopefully better and hopefully developing more, that will bring improvement to the Nats. I don't look at this as, okay, now's the time to start spending big at free agency. I really have come to think this. I think free agency in baseball and really in all pro sports is a sucker's game. It just is. And that's not to say that there aren't free agent signings that work. There are some, but by and large, especially the big money free agent signings, they don't work and you don't get bang for your buck and you do end up regretting the contract. And so to dive back into those waters, especially right now with the youth on this team, with sort of the open landscape that is in front of us in being Nats fans and in following this team. You know, it it feels like the sky's the limit, especially with guys like Dylan Cruz and James Wood, right? It's like, let's not get in the way of any of that. (laughs) You know, let's just let these things happen. And I'll tell you something else, and it may sound like I'm kidding when I say this, I'm not. I would reserve money to sign Dylan Cruz and to sign James Wood. To long term contract extensions. Okay, now you're not necessarily going to be doing that right now. I understand that, but I would have that as a part of my, say, three year plan. You know, Mike Rizzo likes to talk about how he has a one year plan, a three year plan, and a five year plan. Assuming that Mike Rizzo is staying and is going to be signing a contract extension, I absolutely would have as part of my uh, budgetary plan for the next three seasons signing the likes of Dylan Cruz and James Wood and who knows who else to long-term contract extensions. Now, you know, we've played this game before. The players have to be open to doing that. We know that Dylan Cruz has, as his agent, Scott Boris, okay? So we can debate the likelihood of that. But let's not make the same mistake that was made with Juan Soto, okay? Let's be uber aggressive with the likes of Dylan Cruz and James Wood, assuming that you believe in those guys. And at this point, I don't know how that you wouldn't in going after those guys contractually and trying to lock them up as soon as is reasonably possible. And you might say, well, hey, there's risk because those guys have to prove themselves. Yeah, that's true. But you see, here's the thing. By the time that those guys prove themselves, it's probably going to be too late to sign them to contract extensions. So there's a little bit of risk here, okay? But the risk is a big time reward if the risk pays off because if the guy hits, okay, and you've got that guy under team control for years to come, (laughs) that is a bonanza. And that, of course, is what the Atlanta Braves have done so well. I also would say this too. I've heard some people say like this coming off season the Nats to try to do as they did in the 2010 2011 off season and sign a Jason Worth type, you know, an established veteran who can come to this team and help it get to the next level. Look, I'm open-minded. I'm not going to just dismiss something like that. I just I was get a kick out of the Jason Worth signing being touted as like this thing that elevated the Nats or this thing that really worked out. There were some very good things that Jason Worth did as a Nat, but the Nats signed Jason Worth to a seven-year, $126 million contract. Jason Worth, over seven seasons with the Nats, 2011 through 2017, totaled nine wins above replacement. War, for baseball reference. Nine wins above replacement over seven seasons. Now, Baseball is not a math equation, <laughs> right? I understand that. You can't just judge Jason Worth by his mere nine wins above replacement over seven seasons because there were some very good things that Jason Worth did for the Nats. He did have some very good seasons. He did come through in some postseasons. You know, we all remember the Worthquake, Game 4 against the St. Louis Cardinals in the 2012 NLDS. Worth also was very good in that NLDS against the Los Angeles Dodgers in 2016. And I am willing to accept to a point that Jason Worth helped the culture of the Nats, okay? Like, I don't think that that's all just, like, you know, ridiculous talk. Like, I think there is some legitimacy to that. Now, I do think that that gets overstated, and I do think that what gets totally ignored is that the majority of the key pieces who helped the Nats get good beginning with that 2012 season were already in place when the Nats signed Jason Wirth in December 2010. I believe that what the Nats did in becoming good in 2012 would have happened with or without Jason Wirth. And I'm not trying to bash Jason Wirth or anything, but I, I think like that signing gets overstated. And People, I don't know like if they really want that signing to have worked out or what, but it's like, no, I think the signing was a push at best. But I'll tell you this, there's not a general manager in baseball who would tell you that a seven-year, $126 million contract in 2010 contract terms that results in the player for you over those seven seasons producing a mere nine wins above replacement is a good contract and is one that you would do over again, Okay. So, you know, you can buy into some of the non-statistical stuff, and that's fine. And like I said, I don't think that that's all just made-up stuff. Like, I think there is some legitimacy to that stuff. I think it gets overstated, but I think there is some legitimacy to that stuff. But, like, even the Jason Worth thing, which people love to point back at, did that work out? I mean, you tell me. Nine wins above replacement over seven seasons for $126 million. <laughs> I'm sorry. That, that's not a win. All right? That's not a win for the organization so I think that's something to keep in mind too hey you can find us on our website natschatpodcast.com in which you can buy a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt all Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan a thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast music check out his site timnewmark.com and know that this installment of the podcast has been brought to you by Tim who has just put out his 10th solo piano album you can check out the new album at Newmark dot com slash relax for more information. I'm Al Galdi. Thank you for listening. And we'll talk to you next time on the NatchChat Chat
3: Podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in.